How do we actually live doing what God wants us to do? See, if you're a Christian, you probably ha- most of you probably have some idea what God wants you to do and how he wants you to live. And often we'll go away on things like um, fat or things like that. Did anyone go to fat here? I'm sure you did. Like a, few, yeah, right. a whole bunch of you guys are at fat, right? Um, and maybe you go away on fat and you hear a bunch of things in the Bible and you get challenged by the Bible and you're like, yeah, I'm going to be like a super Christian when I get home. I'm going to be like dominating it, being a Christian. I'm going to be like a Bible ninja. I'm going to know everything and I'm not going to be sinning anymore all the time. I'm going to live my life obeying God. I'm going to get rid of that habit and kind of change everything up. I'm going to live my life obeying God, right? You go and you get all excited. But problem is, not long after you get home, you work out that you're still pretty sinful. You still stuff up. You still make mistakes. You still disobey God. And after a while, you come down off the kind of camp high and, and you start to feel as if, man, nothing has changed at all. Like, did fat mean even anything? Did God do anything to change me back then? It seems as if nothing's changed, and you just feel kind of crushed. So long-term, not just getting hyped up on a camp, but long-term, how do you actually live in obedience to God? That's the thing that Psalm 119 is going to help us with tonight as we dive into this passage. How do you live in obedience to God? Now, Bree's already prayed, so we're just going to jump right into it. The first thing you guys need to see in this passage is this. <laughs> to obey God, we actually need to know what he wants so that we can go and do it. And so here it is. God's word tells us what God wants so that we can obey. Uh, check out verses 1 to 8 in Psalm 119, the first little bit there. Now, in this psalm, you're going to hear a bunch of words, right? You're going to hear words like statutes, laws, precepts, decrees, commands, ways, words. And all those are just ways in the Old Testament of talking about God's word in the Bible. They're all the same thing as God's word in the Bible. But check out verses 1 to 3. Check it out. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong and they walk in his ways. The writer of this psalm is saying that the point of having God's word to understand it is not just to understand it and know about it, but to actually go and obey it. You can see it really clearly in verse 4. Check out verse 4. You have laid down precepts, your word that are to be fully obeyed. God's laid out his word for us, and it's to be obeyed. And then in the next kind of four verses, verses five to eight, what you're going to see is he's going to be talking about how much he wishes he could live in obedience to God's word. God tells us what he wants. He tells us what he wants so we can obey it. That's what he does. See, have you guys ever had like a school teacher who you just feel like they've got it in for you? Like they don't even tell you what the rules are before you've broken them. Like you, I don't know, you're just minding your own business, sitting at the back of class, just not really doing anything. And the teacher's like, hey, hey, Jonathan McEwen, I'll use your full name. No sharpening pencils in class. And you're like, what? I don't know that sharpening pencils was like the wrong thing. Like they don't even tell you what you're supposed to be doing before you get in trouble for it. God is not like that. He tells us what he wants in his word 
so that we can actually do the right thing and obey it. In fact, that's the point of knowing what he wants, so we can obey him. See, like imagine, right? Imagine sitting all day, kind of on the couch, watching like exercise aerobics DVDs. You're sitting there going, yeah, that's a pretty good exercise right there. That one's not bad. That would be good for my abs, I reckon. That's like I'll lock that one away. Oh, nice squatting technique. Let's see that one again, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. Good squat. I've got to take note of that. I'll lock the, oh, that's good. And just sitting there going, that's sick. I'm going to learn all these things about exercises, but never getting off your bum and actually doing any exercise. It'll be ridiculous, yeah? No one does that. It's crazy. Does, does someone do that? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, so apart from Emma, who likes to watch exercise DVDs, but not do it, that's a silly thing to do, right? <laughs> Thank you, Emma. That's what it's like, right? When we spend all this time in God's word, learning what God wants and then doing nothing about it. That's silly. God's word tells us what God wants so we can obey it. So there's the first thing you've got to get your head around. Guys, if you're a Christian, make sure you do more than just learn about God. Do more than learn about God. Come to your G teams, come to youth group, read your Bible at home, do all those things, but then go and live it out in your life. That's why God gives us his word, so that we can trust it and so we can obey it. Here's the question that I want to spend the rest of tonight thinking about. How do we not just epically fail at this all the time? How do we actually live in obedience to God now that we know what he wants for us, from us? How do we do that? And here's a sentence I want everyone here to lock away for the rest of the night because this pretty much explains the whole talk. It's about a partnership centered on the word of God. Now, partnership is just when people get together and try and pull something off together, doing something together. The first member of this partnership centered on the word of God is us. We need to work hard at God's word so we can obey it. See, This uh, psalm is broken up into stanzas, right? It's kind of like eight verses, there's one chunk, eight verses, there's the next stanza. That's how it works. That's through the whole thing, right? Through to verse 176, all these different stanzas. The next stanza, kind of verses 9 to 16, is all about, a lot of it is about how this guy writing this psalm wants to do stuff with God's word. He wants to work hard at it. He wants to do all this stuff with it and really kind of get into it and, and do things. Check out verse 11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And he says, he says, I've hidden your word, God's word, in my heart so that I don't go and sin against you. That sounds pretty good, but what does that mean? What does it mean to hide God's word in your heart? Now, when we think about what the heart is, classically, I reckon you probably think of like Disney, right? Listen to your heart. That's what I do. Kind of, you know, it's your emotions. It's kind of just that little inner voice and the gut feeling about what you should do or whatever. In the Bible, your heart is at the center of who you are. Your heart is kind of the thing that drives you. It's, it's the place that kind of drives you, what's most important to you, what's on your mind, what's kind of controlling your life at the center of you. It's your heart. And so when you put God's word in your heart at the center of kind of what you think about, who you are and what's driving you, if you put God's word there, it's like what God wants 
becomes the thing that kind of sets the direction for your life and you put God's word in your heart. Now, a good cross-reference to really understand what this means is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. If you don't go there, look, you look at it in your own time, but it'll spell it out for you really clearly. But so we can keep on moving. I reckon verses 12 to 16 pretty much do the same thing for us. They spell out what it kind of looks like to have God's word hidden in your heart. Check out verse 12. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount, which just means say, all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one who rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And so there's a whole bunch of little pictures there of what it looks like when God's word is kind of hidden up inside someone's someone's heart. They go around talking about God's word. They meditate on God's word, which kind of just means to think about it and kind of roll it around in your brain and, and try and wrestle with what it means and just kind of have it stewing and ticking over there in your head. I was trying to think about how to explain what it means to meditate on something this week. And I reckon this is probably as good as it's going to get. I reckon the closest thing you guys would be used to would be what happens when you start to like a girl or a guy. Okay, you meditate on it. What you do is you, you kind of develop this crush and then you kind of, I don't know if you use the word crush, right, but whatever, you do, you, you're in love with someone, okay? And, and you're like going, you, you kind of analyze every little thing that they do and every little thing that they say. So they send you like a message on Facebook and you like read it and it says like, see you tomorrow, smiley face, kiss, kiss. And then you kind of go, oh, that's interesting. See you tomorrow, smiley face. Is that like, a smiley face because she's going to see me tomorrow? Or is that like smiley face because she just likes Saturday heaps? What does that mean? And you're kind of wrestling with it. And then you're like, kiss, kiss. Does she, does she write kiss, kiss to everyone? Or is that just for me? Is that like a special, is she trying to kiss, kiss me? And if I, if I reply kiss, kiss back, is that like a weird thing for a guy to write? Or, and you kind of, you stew on it all day long. People, if this isn't you, I'm sure it's one of your friends. You could probably point and laugh at someone right now if you want to. And there was you, that's right, yeah. See, guys, <clears throat> you can stop pointing now, it's cool. All right. See, when you're in love with someone, you'll spend all day meditating on their words, just stewing over it, thinking about it, wrestling with it, so much that you don't even need to read the message anymore. Because you've memorized it. It's locked away. It's in your head and you're telling your friends at school about it. It becomes like a part of you. It's stored up. This has been a distracting illustration. It's stored up in your heart because you've been meditating on it. That's what the guy writing this psalm does with God's word. He loves it. He wrestles with it all day long. He meditates on it. He thinks about it. And so it's stored up in his heart. So it's at the center of his whole being. And it's like driving his life. Now, guys, if we do this with God's word, the result will be that more and more we'll obey him in the things we do. If it's God's word that's kind of there in the middle, just driving everything for us. But do we do this? Do we do this with God's word? Do we treasure it like like a message from some chick that you're in love with? Because if we did this with God's word, it would seriously change our lives. It would have a huge 
impact. It would help us not to sin and it would, see, it would help us to see long-term change in our lives. And so get stuck into it. Get into God's word. Do with it what this guy's talking about here. I'll give you two. We've already talked about heaps tonight. But guys, two things. Get to your G teams and make it a priority. And don't just go, I better go to my G team because that was a thing that someone said I should go to. No, get there. Get there and be keen and be ready to tuck into the Bible and then let it shape your whole week. And secondly, read the Bible on your own. Study the Bible on your own. Wrestle with it on your own. Get those daily reading notes for Psalms that are over in the hall over there. And here's a little tip for you guys. You might be kind of going, yeah, I probably should read the Bible. But I feel like I'm like two weeks behind in the daily reading notes and I couldn't be bothered to really start. And so I don't want to have to catch up. Like, forget about where you're up to or whatever or your track record. Don't worry about being guilty about it. Just grab them open, start on today's date and just get into it. Store up God's word in your heart. Hide it in your heart. And if you do this, guys, you'll see changes in your life. Now, at this stage, as you're hearing what the Bible's saying, you could be tempted to think that, Growing as a Christian in obedience to God is a little bit like canoeing or something, right? Like in canoeing, it's just raw effort. You sit there and if you paddle hard, you're going to go well. And if you don't paddle or stop paddling, you've got nothing. It's all up to you. Paddle hard enough and you're going to be going well when you're canoeing. Is that what it's like growing in obedience to God? A little bit, but it's not the whole picture. It's not that simple. You do need to work hard. If I remember what I said at the start, it's about a partnership centered on the word of God. And so here's the second thing you guys have got to see. Here's the second member of this partnership. It's God. God works in us through his word as we obey it. Excuse me. See, check out the next stanza. You learned a new word tonight, right? Check out the next little chunk there, starting at verse 18. Check it out. Open my eyes so that I may see wonderful things in your law. Uh, Verse 24, your statutes are my delight. They're my counsellors. So they're like counselling him on how to live his life. Verse 26, I recounted my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Verse 27, let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then Then I will meditate on your wonders. See? The big thing that comes out there is that God helps us understand his word. When you do this stuff, God is teaching you by his word. He helps you. He's doing it in your life and helping you to unpack it and open your eyes so you can see what's going on there, which is a huge deal. That's a big deal. That's a a really good thing. See, you you might be a Christian, right? You might be a Christian, but you're one of those people who knows that you're not very bright. You're like, coming last in English, you hate reading stuff, you don't know anything about anything, and, and you just feel like you just got nothing when it comes to trying to learn stuff and understand stuff. You, you go to your G team maybe and you're there, but you just got like the concentration, like 30 seconds, like you're just sitting there and you're like, is that a possum outside? Like, <laughs> do possums even exist in Australia? Could I keep a possum? You know, and you just kind of, and you, and you get distracted really easily, you don't know what's going on and you just feel like, You genuinely want to learn, you genuinely want to change and obey God, but you don't even feel like you can get past just trying to even learn and understand God's word. Well, guys, if it was just up to us and your understanding, and you're that guy who can't concentrate for 30 seconds, you would be in a lot of trouble. But it's not just up to you. God 
is the one who teaches us from his word. You are never alone when you open the Bible. You've got God's Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, teaching you to understand what it says and then helping you to live it out in your life. You're not alone. You've got God's help in this, which is awesome. That's so good. And before you kind of go and write off this stuff as all too hard and you're never going to get it, let me ask you a question. Have you ever just begged God to help you understand, to open your eyes to what he's saying and to help you live it out? I can't think of a single time in my life, honestly, where I've literally prayed to God, God, please help me understand you, help me understand your word and help me to to live it out in my life where God hasn't answered that prayer. God answers that prayer that he would reveal what his word says to us. It's such a good thing that he does in us. And here's the second thing that God does in us through his word. God will strengthen us with his word. Check out verse 28. He's having a hard time. My soul is weary with sorrow. So here's his prayer. Strengthen me according to your word. So he's, he's feeling weak and tired and like, well, I don't know what's going on in his life, but it sounds pretty hard. But his prayer is that God would strengthen him according to his word. See, often I reckon if you're a Christian, you might pray for strength. God, give me strength to do this or do that or cope with that or whatever. But strengthen, strengthen us through his word. That's how he does it. And so we might, we might open those windows and close those doors and windows, I reckon, because that's hectic, loud. So <laughs> it's like a dance party over there. But open up over here, that'd be good. Um, and so at this point, right, after hearing this stuff, you might be like, okay, well, it's not, canoeing's not the perfect picture of what it's like to grow as a Christian. Maybe it's more like just floating down a river. You know, you kind of sit back in your little inner tube tie thing and the current's just going to take you down river and God's going to do all the work for us. We sit back and God does it. That's not really the picture either. It's not really just like floating down a river where God does it all for you because we need to work as God works in us. It's both. It's not canoeing where you do all the work. It's not floating down a river where the river just does it for you. I reckon a better picture of what it's like to grow in obedience to God is a little bit like sailing. I don't know heaps about sailing, but I reckon it's a bit like this. See, when you go sailing, you've got to work hard. You've got to be like hoisting the rigging and climbing the sail. You know, you're putting up stuff. You're like the sail in the right place and you've got to steer the rudder and you've probably got to scrub the deck because that's the thing that they always do on ships according to movies and you've got to do all this stuff you've got to work hard and if you don't kind of work hard as a sailor and do all those things your boat's not going anywhere right but even if you do all those things and you're nailing it and you've got the sail in the right place and the rudder and the deck's clean or whatever but there's no wind you're not going anywhere either so when you're sailing, you've got to work hard, but you've got to rely on the wind to carry you along as well. And without either one of those two things, you're stuffed. You're not going anywhere. When it comes to growing as a Christian and obeying God, it's a partnership. So get stuck into it. Work hard. Read the Bible. Study it. Wrestle with it. Meditate on it like a message from some girl that you like. But Trust that God is going to blow the wind and move you along and grow you and do his work in you as well. And so here's the key. The key to obeying God is a partnership centered 
on the word of God. One last thing I want to think about tonight, though. What about when we fail? (laughs) What about when we still fail? See, we can grow in this stuff. We can change. God will do big things in our lives. But we still end up messing up. We still end up sinning. Eventually, all of us end up in the same place. And we go, man, I'm still not good enough. Still make mistakes. That's exactly how the guy in this psalm ends up feeling as well. Check out verse 5 and 6. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I'd not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. You hear what he says? Man, I wish that I was steadfast, that I was um, sturdy and consistent at obeying all of God's words. When he thinks about the stuff written in God's commands in his word, it puts him to shame because he realizes just how much he isn't obedient and how much he does stuff up. He's a failure. And so when he looks at the Bible, he goes, man, I don't meet up to this. I don't do this. Does this sound familiar to you guys? This is us. This is us in the end as well. We have our failures. We have our sin. Even when God's working in us and we're working hard, we still stuff up. And so here's the bottom line. And here's the last thing I want us to see tonight. Ultimately, we actually need Jesus's obedience on our behalf to save us. We don't obey God like we should. And so what we need is we need Jesus's perfect track record to be given to us for free. Lock this sentence away in your head. A Christian is someone who swaps their track record, the list of how they've lived, with Jesus's track record. Come over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the last thing we're going to look at in the Bible tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But guys, as we look at this, I want to tell you guys that this is honestly the most important thing you can ever learn. Literally, this is true for every single person who's alive. What I'm about to show you guys is the most important thing you'll ever hear. And so if you've never heard this, man, listen up. Verse 21 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's huge. God made Jesus, who had no sin at all, he was perfect, he was and is perfect because he's still alive today, the only man in the history of the world with a perfect track record, God made him sin for us. I actually need a volunteer for this. And so can I grab someone up real quick? Francis, you're right there, get up here. You're trendy enough, you can cope with this. Now, all right, this is a bit silly, but it... I want you guys to get this, so I'm going to labor the point. All right. Now, I don't know what Jesus looks like. He definitely doesn't look like Jordan Francis. But for the sake of this illustration, let's pretend that this wig makes Francis look like Jesus. All right. Now, here's a book, right? This is Jesus's track record. Just pretend he isn't, but this is Jesus. This is his track record. What do you notice about Jesus's track record? It's empty. There's nothing written in it. He hasn't done. Whew, that was hectic. He hasn't done anything wrong. All right. So this is Jesus's track record. Here's my track record. This is a list of all the things I've ever done, all the times I've stuffed up, all the times I've sinned, every little thing that I haven't obeyed God in. What do you notice about my track record? It's full of all this stuff I've done, right? This is me. This is Jesus. It's still Jordan. Remember that, but this is Jesus. Now, here's what this verse says. God made him who had no sin, perfect track record, to be sin for us, to be like this, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Basically, this is what it's saying. He's got no sin. He gives me his track record. He takes mine. Now, he's the one who's seen as a sinner. I'm the one who's seen as perfect, even though I'm not, even though I still stuff up, even though I'm going to stuff up again. Perfect track record, Jesus' track record. And God treats him, the perfect guy, like a sinner. And he punishes my sin by judging Jesus on the cross. That's what this is saying. This is huge. You can sit down, man, and you can keep the wig if you want. Um, A Christian, you can't actually keep it, I need that back for hair purposes. But a Christian, (laughs) a Christian is someone who swapped their track record with Jesus. Do you guys get how profound that is? How huge that is? That is life changing. It's just amazing. You get a clean record and it's not like you get Jesus' clean track record and then the next time you stuff up, it's going to like you're going to mess up his track record as well. No, you keep his track record for life and it stays clean even when in the future you sin. Have you made that swap with Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? Have you asked him to swap track records with you and die on behalf of you on the cross? Because guys, that's what it means to become a Christian. That's what it is. A, a Christian is not about obeying God enough and keeping all the rules so much so that God goes, hey, you're doing all right, kid, I'll let you into heaven. No, you're not good enough. You need to be given Jesus's track record. And all you need to do is put your trust in him. And so, guys, if tonight, for the first time, you actually have understood from the Bible what a Christian is, and it's someone who swaps their track record with Jesus, if you've worked that out for the first time, you're probably not a Christian, but you should become a Christian. And all you need to do is you need to just ask God, God, please swap my track record with Jesus. Please forgive me because of what Jesus has done. Make Jesus your saviour and have him as your Lord, and that's you becoming a Christian. So maybe some of you guys need to do that tonight. I'm not going to pray from the front about that or anything like that. But if you do need to become a Christian tonight, talk to someone or just pray to God on your own. But talk to someone, tell someone about it. But secondly, guys, if you are a Christian, can you see how good it is what Jesus has done on our behalf? That is awesome. Even though we don't obey him perfectly. If you're a Christian, God looks at you and he sees Jesus's life. That's amazing. Be stoked at what Jesus has done for you. And out of thankfulness and and as, as your Lord, now go and obey Jesus and pursue a partnership centered on the word of God, where you work hard and you trust that God will be working in you to grow you. That's pretty good stuff. I'm excited about this stuff. I hope you guys are as well. I'm going to pray and I think we're going to go and sing and respond to what we've heard in song. Let's, let's pray. Oh Lord God, we have so much to thank you for because of Jesus. Lord, thank you that even though we're not perfect on so many levels and Lord, we make so many mistakes, thank you that if our trust is in you, Lord, we're forgiven and we're given a complete clean slate that we can't mess up again. Lord, I pray that we would live lives in obedience to you, knowing that uh, this side of heaven, before we die, we're still going to have mistakes and stuff-ups, but Lord, I pray that we'd pursue a relationship with you where, Lord, we work hard at your word, we seek to understand it and we seek to obey it. And Lord, I pray that you would be working in us to change us and and, and do your work in us as you do that. Amen.